Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Scott Roche's Omniverse. The story this week is With Power Comes Responsibility, read by Alex Skinner, the narrator, illustrator, and overlord at Skinner Co., where they produce the Flashpulp podcast. Check the show notes for links to her work. This is my take on a superhero origin story. I do plan on writing more with this character down the road. There's something about writing young, powerful female heroes that appeals to me. Why do I do it? To paraphrase Joss Whedon, because that's still a question that gets asked. So, enjoy the story, and as always, if you like it, leave me a comment and share the link to it with your friends. With Power Comes Responsibility by Scott Roche The rhythmic bumping of Kayla's gym bag against her back kept time with the beat of the music pumping through her earbuds. She needed to get home in time for dinner. That cemented her decision to take the shortcut. Father frowned on her being late for dinner. She did everything she could to make him smile, pleasing him not out of any fear of retribution or discipline, just the notion that he would be happy, drove her to excel in everything she did. He liked music. She played two instruments. He wanted her to go to a good school. She studied hard and was a straight-A student in addition to being her class president. Martial arts were her true passion, though. They were the only thing she did just for her. She was already a black belt in Taekwondo and was considering studying Krav Maga. The latter art was more brutal, used by the Israeli Defense Forces. It was slowly gaining popularity in the States and was the basis for the moves in the latest Batman movies. Her mother, a former Israeli intelligence agent, knew it well enough to teach her. In spite of her interest in butt-kicking, though, at heart she was a gentle girl and had never raised a hand to anyone outside of the gym. Her mother often complained that Kayla and her father were too soft and that one day the world would eat them alive. Thumping beats from the aggressive nerdcore hip-hop music on her MP3 player kept her from hearing the scuff of shoes behind her. Short hair stood up on her arms in spite of the unseasonably warm air. Her body was aware of their presence before she knew it consciously herself. Someone was invading her personal bubble. She tapped a button on her bag's strap, and the volume cut to almost nothing, silencing M.C. Frontalot's lesson on what it was like to be the final boss in a video game. As the music's volume decreased, she could make out masculine voices. Before the individual words were audible, the aggressive tone was evident. She thought of that rumbling bravado, most often coming from the mouth of her brother Isaac, and his friends as boy noises, or boises. "'Feels out those jeans!' This voice was deeper than the adolescence she was more used to dealing with. "'Hey, babe, don't walk so fast. Where are you going in such a hurry?' She stopped, consciously relaxed her back and shoulder muscles, and turned slowly in place, preparing her best glare. At five feet, four inches, and a fit and lean hundred and ten pounds, she was bigger than girls two years older than her, and a good number of boys her age, and easily intimidated them. 
Her brother once told her that an infuriated sister look was almost as wicked as Cyclops's eye-beams. When she saw the four grown men closing in on her, she wished that she had had the cartoon character's ruby-laser eyes handy. The steel she had previously felt at her core withered, and panic fluttered in her chest. The men that had been behind her were all massive in comparison, fully adult and thoroughly dangerous, flaunting tattoos and gang colors. She didn't see any weapons, but she was sure they were there. She was completely unarmed, not counting the mace spray hanging from a hook on her bag. She could get to it, no problem, but the spray would only take one of them down. That left three gangbangers against one lone teenage girl. Not good odds. Even with her years of training, handling one of these men would be difficult, but not impossible. Taking out two was stretching it. Three or more, and she may as well hang it up. Easy now. Just be easy, and everything will be okay. The panic was still there, but she breathed and kept breathing. Hey, baby, going the wrong way, ain't you? She shook her head. No, I just... I just forgot something back at the gym. Gotta go back and get it. She changed course to walk around them, but they spread out, taking up most of the sidewalk. A tall, skinny one held out a hand. Hey, maybe we got what you're looking for. A deep belly laugh from the first one that spoke. I know you got what we want. His eyes crawled all over her. The embarrassment and anger made her face flush hot. The tall one laughed at his friend. So you like little boys, eh, Tito? Kayla's lithe, muscular frame had yet to fill out as her mother's had. Nah, I say, I just don't like them fat like you. Their two other friends laughed at that. All right, chica, tell you what. Give us that bag and maybe we'll let you go back to the gym and call your daddy. If you don't, Tito here gets to dance with you. Even if she gave them what they wanted, there was no guarantee that Tito's friend would keep his end of the bargain. Still, she had been taught to give muggers what they wanted. Better to lose a wallet or purse than your life. She slung it off her shoulder and let it fall to dangle in her hand. In addition to her workout clothes, feather light themselves, a towel and shower supplies, there was also about ten pounds of lead in the sturdy polyester, Somehow the wrist and ankle weights seemed more solid dangling from one hand than they did once strapped in place. All that mass, concentrated in one spot, dragged at her arm. As she considered whether or not to use the makeshift weapon, her eyes glazed over briefly, her mind forecasting the conclusion to this conflict. "'We're sorry, Mr. and Mrs. Charney. It looks like your daughter had a run-in with some thugs.' Mother cried silent tears while father wept openly and loudly. He always was the emotional one. Soft. Not just physically, but emotionally. Mother was the tough one. It was her years in Shabak, Israel's internal intelligence agency, that had given her a hard edge that made it hard for she and Kayla to connect like a normal mother and daughter should. Kayla had inherited some of that steel, though. "'Give it up, puta!' The slur snapped her out of the prophetic vision. It was decision time. There was a good chance she'd end up dead one way or another. Stand up to them, 
and they'd teach her a lesson. Cower, and they would take more than just her gym clothes. Five feet separated her from Tito. The others were slightly behind him and spread out. She knew there was an alley, possibly with a fire escape a few paces away. There was also the option of flat-out running down the street. She twisted her whole body. Her right arm whipped out and brought the bag along behind. She released it, at what she hoped was the right moment, and didn't wait to see what happened. A thump, followed by a loud crack of bone breaking, and muffled cries, followed by a stream of curses in English and Spanish, gave her some indication. The momentum the swinging motion generated brought her a full 180 degrees, and she bolted down the sidewalk. Growing up in Israel had been peaceful compared to the mean streets of America. She was a tough cookie, according to her father, but she was no trained soldier, and terror kicked the flight part of her instincts into gear. Her running shoes ate up the pavement in huge bites. There was no way she was going to look behind her to see how many of the bangers were following her. A roaring in her ears kept her from hearing any pursuit, but she was certain they were right behind her. The darkness of the alley called to her. A loud crack, and something that buzzed by her ear caused her body to dump even more adrenaline into her bloodstream. Her heart ratcheted up, and she sucked in air. Her body responded like the well-trained machine it was. She was grateful for the last two years on the track and field team. The alley was the only good option at this point. Kayla didn't think she had any more to give, but the picture of her father crying made her ring out that extra little bit of speed. Heartbeats filled her head. As she passed from sidewalk to alley, it wasn't a great deal darker in spite of being surrounded by towering buildings. She had hoped for a cover of darkness, but there was none. A fire escape on the building caught her eye. It seemed to be in good shape. The ladder's bottom rung was a little out of reach. She supposed that the height kept neighborhood kids from trying to use it as a jungle gym. She slowed slightly and jumped for it, hoping to use her momentum to get her as high a grab as possible. Maybe she could catch a higher rung and make it easier to get to the roof. She sailed up, past the ladder, and grabbed the side of the rail of the fire escape outside the second-floor window. Her eyes bulged in disbelief. Her feet were firmly planted on the metal floor, and she could look down. She had jumped something like fifteen feet straight up. Even more amazing, she didn't see her pursuers. Certainly they were right behind her. No time for questions. Move, her mother's voice whispered harshly in her memory. Kayla looked up and saw she had ten more floors to go before getting to the roof. Moving as quickly and as quietly as she could, no mean feed on a metal fire escape, she scrambled up the ladders. In what seemed to be no more than a few seconds, she stood on the top platform. There was no way to the roof proper from here, and the only way into the building was through a metal fire door. Thinking back to how she got up here in the first place, she jumped again. This jump carried her past the roof edge. On her way back down, her feet caught the lip, and she pitched herself forward into the concrete pad. The landing was harder than the ones she was used to on the gym's mats. But muscle memory threw her into a roll, absorbing a good deal of the impact. It still knocked the wind out of her, and she knew that she'd feel it later. She made her way carefully to the roof's edge. It still didn't seem possible that she had made either jump, 
she also marveled at how quickly she had climbed the ladders. She waited to see if she lost her pursuers and took stock of her condition. Her heart rate was near normal, and she wasn't breathing any harder than she would after a light warm-up. The muscles in her legs were glowing with warmth, but there was no burn. The exertion of her run from the thugs, and an unexceptionally hard workout under Master Bayan, should have turned her into a sweating mess. Thirty seconds passed, and then almost a full minute before the thugs who chased her made it into the alley. They looked around, puzzled. Even in the murk of the alley, and ten stories up, she could clearly see the look on the two men's faces. They didn't look angry, as much as confused. She must have injured Tito badly for him to stay behind. That pleased her to no small degree. After scanning the alley for her, a process that didn't take them that long, one of the pair pointed up at the fire escape. Two pairs of eyes tracked up the metal web, reaching its summit. Kayla wasn't sure if they could see her or not, black hair and dusky skin against a night sky, but she backed slowly away. Once clear of the roof's edge, she stood and looked around. There was a roof access hatch, but that would only take her back down. Her gaze moved out to the plain of roofs that stretched away as far as she could see. Jumping from one roof to the other proved easier than she imagined, even given her experience with the fire escape. Lateral jumps of ten to fifteen feet were like playing hopscotch. A few of her landings were dodgy, trying to avoid aerials, clotheslines, and cable television wires proved less easy. At least one person would need to rehang their wash, thanks to her. Eventually, the fear and uncertainty gave way to the joy and sheer physicality of movement. The air in her face, the exertion of overcoming gravity, the thud of the landing, all contributed to a sense of fulfillment she didn't understand entirely. Once she had traversed a dozen city blocks in this way, changing directions twice to move her towards home, she decided it was time to go back to street level. She hopped lightly to another fire escape and climbed down slowly. Almost to the ground, she heard a shout above her. She was pretty sure it was in Greek. She ran the few remaining blocks home. The last couple dozen yards, it was as though the air thickened. She slowed down and every muscle in her body began quivering. The climb up her stoop was like climbing Everest. She pushed into the lobby of her building and collapsed onto the cool concrete floor, twitching. When Kayla came to, she felt the familiar weight of the comforter Nana made her. It was the middle of May, but she snuggled deeper into the fabric, luxuriating in it. Every muscle in her body seemed to be cramping at once, and she had a bone-deep chill. Am I coming down with something? Then she remembered the gangbangers and the amazing escape she pulled off. She wanted to sit up and call for someone, but her body wouldn't cooperate. Kay, you awake? Her father's muffled voice came from the other side of the comforter. With a tremendous effort, she peeled back the covers and blinked at the weak light coming from the candle on her bedside table. Father was sitting in the bent cane rocker that soothed her as a baby. That, too, was a present from Nana when they moved to the States. He used the momentum of the chair to stand up, 
and walked the three steps to her bed. Tear tracks smeared his face as he looked down at her. You gave your mother and me quite a scare, love. The last thing she remembered was struggling up the front stoop to the apartment building. Sorry, father. Her voice was weak and thin. No need to apologize, Kay. You didn't do anything wrong. He reached down and brushed a lock of hair from her head that had been matted there by dried sweat. He squatted down by the bed, lanky frame awkward in the space. Where's mother? Sleeping. We took turns. You've been asleep for about thirty-six hours now. She sat up as far as she could. A day and a half? That's right. You're going to be just fine, though. It's probably a touch of this flu that's going around. It can come on you sudden. There was something in Father's tone that was disingenuous. He was a doctor in his own practice. He would probably know that it wasn't the flu. But why would he lie to her? Or himself? She shook her head. Not the flu. I pushed myself too hard. How could she explain just how hard she had pushed herself, and why? They wouldn't believe her. Lie back down, sweetheart. He smiled softly at her. Rest up a bit more. We can talk about it then. She did as she was told. Thirty-six hours of sleep hadn't erased her exhaustion entirely. Father took a plastic tumbler from the nightstand and held its straw out to her. Drink some of this. It'll help. She sucked greedily at the liquid, surprised that it wasn't water. It tasted like a sports drink. In seconds, she was sucking air. With a quiet burp and a nod of thanks, she closed her eyes and drifted back to sleep, feeling Father's hand on her brow. The next time Kayla opened her eyes, she felt mostly human again. Her bladder felt like it was about to explode, so she rushed to the little half-bath. There were no muscle cramps, aside from the usual ones expected from nearly two full days in bed. Her immediate needs taken care of, she scrutinized her face in the mirror. She looked like a complete wreck. She washed her face and ran a brush through her tangled, matted black curls. She needed a shower that would have to wait. Her stomach felt like a hollow drum, and it was making noises that would have embarrassed her in public. Breakfast and a family meeting were in order. She walked back out to her bedroom and changed out of her Tweety Bird sleep pants and yellow tank top. She replaced them with a pair of black yoga pants and a long white tee that came down to mid-thigh. It was one of her father's. The only reason she folded laundry without objection was to occasionally steal one of his shirts. Satisfied that she was ready for people, she left her cozy little room. She tapped the poster of Uma Thurman from Kill Bill, Volume 1, as she did. She was too young for the movie, so her mother said, but neither of them minded her having such a powerful female heroine on her wall. Neither parent knew that she and her brother Isaac had downloaded and watched it six times. The house was quiet. She didn't know what time it was. The blind had been drawn in her room, and she didn't wear a watch. The short trip down the hall and into the kitchen revealed that at least Mother was up and around. She stood at the Butcher Block Island, reading her laptop, and sipped from a steaming mug. 
The scent of strong coffee and faint traces of cinnamon sharpened Kayla's appetite. Hello, Mother. The plump, petite Israeli woman's head snapped up from her reading. A slight smile creased the corners of her mouth. It was her eyes that really showed her happiness. The nearly black irises danced. Kayla, good to see you up and around. She put down her mug, walked around the island, and took Kayla in her arms. Given the smell of baked goods and no supper on the table, Kayla guessed that it was the morning. She broke the hug first. Thanks. It's good to be awake. She moved to the coffee maker and poured herself a cup, lacing it with sugar and half and half. She sipped the still scalding brew and turned to face her mother. So tell me. One of Kayla's eyebrows was raised. Her mother took her own cup and walked to the kitchen sink, breaking eye contact. You had us worried. Father checked you out and said that it was either the flu or just exhaustion. But then you just wouldn't wake up. Kayla walked over to the butcher block and put her cup down. Mother, please tell me what's really going on. What do you mean? I mean I don't have the flu, and of all people father would know that. Okay, Miss Expert, you tell me what caused you to take to your bed for two days. Kayla took another sip of the sweet, milky coffee. Squaring her shoulders, she recounted everything she had gone through. She worked hard not to embellish anything. Hearing the words come out of her mouth, though, it seemed like she was. Finally, she came to the part where she collapsed on the floor of the lobby. Once Kayla began, Mother's face went into business mode. Her expression never flickered. Kayla knew that she was looking for any trace of a lie. It was hard to sneak a direct lie past Mother. Years of interrogating the most hardcore terrorist suspects and a whole host of other scum had sharpened her lie detection skills. When Kayla stopped, Mother nodded. I see. We've been preparing for this. That caught Kayla completely off guard. Preparing? She moved from curiosity to confusion, tinged with anger. You expected this? Mother shook her head. No, Kayla, of course not. She paused. Not this, exactly. Something very much like it, though. Her eyes flickered to the ceiling, and then met her daughter's again. When you were born, you had a number of very serious problems. Your father would be better one to tell you precisely what they were, but he doesn't like to think of those days. Suffice to say that you and I both almost died. This was news to Kayla. Her eyes went wide. You and father always told me that I was born happy and healthy. Yes, and we were encouraged to. Encouraged? By who? She didn't think it possible for this week to get any stranger. The doctors. Your problems were a very rare combination of neuromuscular and glandular disorders. They were able to save your life thanks to some experimental procedures. The shock in her eyes turned to horror. She had been a lab rat. What? What kind of experiments? Mother's voice rose for the first time. 
the kind that saved your life, the kind that only my position and your father's friendship could acquire. She visibly brought herself under control. The kind that we were and will be eternally grateful for. Kayla struggled to get her own emotions under control. It was much more difficult, but she was her mother's daughter. So why keep them secret? What they did wasn't entirely legal. Since the procedures were so obviously a success, we saw no reason to broadcast them. If we did, well, it would have damaged everyone involved. Performing illegal experimental procedures on a newborn infant. Damaging? Kayla literally bit her tongue to keep from voicing the sarcasm. Mother's eyes softened. We kept an eye on you as you grew, and you were a normal, healthy child. Since your father was your primary physician, he was the only one that would know if anything unusual showed up. And if it did, well, then we would deal with it. Until then, or until you became an adult, there was no reason to tell anyone. No reason except that it would have been the right thing to do. Father's voice came from the hallway. The charney women turned to look at him. He was barely visible in the dim light. There was a tear in his voice. So sorry, Kay. Kayla found herself tearing up. Sadness and anger blended into her current slurry of emotion. Mother rested a hand on her upper arm. We both are, darling. But we must think about right now. We must find out what is happening to you and make sure that you are okay. Kayla sniffed and nodded. Her feelings would unknot themselves eventually. At least, she hoped so. The next few days went by in a blur. School was out for the summer, so she and father had time to work together. The process of figuring out what happened involved a lot of time at his office after hours, and more needles than Kayla really wanted to be acquainted with. He kept assuring her that they would get to the bottom of it. She had been in the midst of putting together a note on Facebook when a knock on her bedroom door startled her. Come in. Father opened and closed the door. He came and sat on the cane rocker. Well, I think I know what's going on. He waited for a few beats, and once she cocked her head at him, he went on. I don't fully understand what they did to you thirteen years ago, and without that knowledge I am not one hundred percent sure of how you were able to do all those things. But you're a doctor, Father smiled. There are doctors, and there are doctors. I'm just a family practice guy. What I do know is that when you were born, there were key hormones that everyone's body produces that to you, were toxic. Your own endocrine system would have eventually killed you. On top of that, your musculature and nervous systems were badly damaged by the time you were born. Kayla nodded. Yeah, Mother told me something like that. I know I've studied a little bit about all that stuff in school. Well, what you don't know is that some scientists have developed artificial systems to replace them. It's not perfect, by any means, 
and back then it was largely black box stuff. The government was looking for ways to use it on soldiers. He looked deep into Kayla's eyes. Shortly after you were born, they put all of these things into place. They rebuilt your musculature and nervous systems, and replaced a lot of your glands with synthetic versions. She began to feel nauseous. You're making it sound like I'm some kind of cyborg or something. Father leaned forward. No more so than a man with a pacemaker or someone with a prosthetic arm. You're still 100% human, and you're still my little girl. Kayla set her laptop aside and turned so that she was knee-to-knee with her father. She was scared, but he was so certain. The people who helped assured us that everything had been tested on people separately and that it would all be fine. I knew the doctors involved by reputation, and your mother knew a lot of the people on the military end. I guess what they didn't know was what would happen in a human being whose body was still developing. The cultures and samples I took all appeared normal. Even knowing what I do, I couldn't tell the difference between yours and mine without some very specific tests. So, what do you know? Her tone was a little sharper than she wanted. Calm down, Kay. What I do know, or at least suspect, is that when you enter a really high-stress situation, your body uses all of the things that God gave us in a way that no other person can. Your body is ten times more efficient. It's faster, stronger, and can go longer than anyone at your age in development. He laughed gently. (laughs) Or anyone fully grown, for that matter. She began to get interested. So, why haven't I noticed before now? He cocked his head to one side. Well, before now you'd never really been in a life-or-death situation before. These enhancements were developed for soldiers, and it wouldn't make sense for these things to activate in training. They only kick in when you really need them. Kayla nodded. It seemed to make sense. She thought there might be holes in that logic, but she couldn't see them. So, why did it wipe me out so bad? Well, most of your body is completely original to you. Your organs and skeleton are all yours. What you did put a tremendous strain on them. Frankly, I'm kind of surprised you weren't out longer. He scratched his head and looked sheepish. I have a thought there, too. It could be that these things are affecting your development in other areas. I checked things like your lungs and liver, and gave you a good going over, stem to stern. I think, given time, your body will fully adapt to this level of activity. So, if I had to do that again... I might not crash so hard? He shrugged. Maybe not. I can't really say for sure. His face grew stern. I hope we don't have to find out. He paused and let the silence stretch out. Relax, father. It's not like I want to be in danger. She stared at the Kill Bill poster. It felt right. It belonged on her wall. She felt right. She belonged on the rooftops in flight from one building to another. Right. Moving on. It's also possible that, outside of those extreme circumstances, 
that your body, everything from your strength level to your agility and response time, will exceed normal levels for your age. Right now, you're just a very fit 13-year-old girl. But if I compare your records from before the incident, your physical at the beginning of the school year, with what I've taken over the last few days, seems like you're healthier now. That really was curious. She didn't feel any different. Let's just say that everything seems to be working more efficiently overall. But that's good, right? She began to feel the nausea creep back in. She didn't want to be different. A monster of some kind. He put a hand on her knee. It is good, sweetie. In light of what happened, though, I'm just noticing everything. So, what now? Father rocked back. Well, nothing really. Now you just go on doing what you're doing. You're not sick. If you begin to feel weird, tell me. I'll keep one eye on you. He turned his head to take in the picture of Uma Thurman. Maybe both eyes. Kayla blushed. I'll stay out of trouble. Promise. Father stood. You get back to your Facebooking. He gestured to her laptop. If you have any questions, let me know. He let himself out of her room. Kayla flopped back onto her bed, lying across it. Great. I'm some kind of freak. A second later, there was a light tap on her door. Come in, Isaac. The annoyance dripped from her tongue. The door quietly opened and shut. Hey, sis. She sat up and looked at him. For she was arguably the best parts of both mother and father physically. Her brother was the worst. He was short, like mother, and though not quite in his teens, already had acne. With father's ruler straight brown hair and bad eyes hidden behind thick glasses, he was the ultimate geek, down to the brain power. Hey, Isaac. So what did you hear? She knew that if he focused his attention on the air vents, he could eavesdrop on her room. Everything. It sounds to me like you're some kind of cyborg, regardless of what father says. She grabbed her pillow and heaved it at him. Don't kill me, he wailed in false terror. Kayla dissolved into giggles. Isaac could always make her laugh. Oh, I'll kill you, all right. I'll post a picture of your birdie little chest in the girls' bathroom at school. Oh, that's cold-hearted. You wouldn't do that. He didn't sound very certain. He was right. She wasn't the cold-blooded killer that the bride on her wall had been. She couldn't even really embarrass her brother, no matter how much she wanted to. It wouldn't pay to let him know that. Maybe. Maybe not. Whatever I am. What do I do now? You just have to ask yourself. W-W-S-M-D. She raised an eyebrow at him. What would Spider-Man do? She groaned at his answer. And you've already started it. He waggled his eyebrows. I have? How? She patted her bed. He sat beside her. That puke you put out of commission when you were coming back from practice. Him and his buddies are dealers. I heard he'll be in the hospital for a couple more weeks. She put her hand over her mouth. 
What? Mother and father don't know, but I heard some things and just put two and two together. If you did that to his whole gang, you'd be a superhero. Think of the kids who wouldn't be able to get their drugs. Think of the ones who'd be safe from what almost happened to you. She did. For the first time since she'd been awake, she thought hard about what had almost happened. Could she really save people? She was terrified in the moment, but that hadn't changed the fact that she had put one of them down and gotten out of there alive. Next time, she could be ready for them. She looked at Isaac. Thanks, buddy. You give me something to think about. Can I be your sidekick? She grabbed another pillow and clobbered him with it. Not until you can dodge pillows. Now get out. She laughed as he ran out of her room, closing the door behind him. Kayla slept in the next day. When she woke up, she felt mostly normal. But she had been given Isaac's ideas a lot of thought. Both he and father had given her significant looks over breakfast this morning. She felt like today would be significant somehow. By lunchtime, nothing had happened. She had promised to meet Regina at the library that afternoon, so she hopped on her bike. It was a warm day, and the end of school was well behind her. The library was only about eight minutes away if she took the most direct route, but she felt like taking her time. A lap or two around the park was just what the doctor ordered. She hit Fifth Street, watching out for traffic, and shot into the bike lane at her earliest opportunity. It followed the sidewalk, and they both made a kidney-shaped loop around the luxurious green space. It erupted into a riot of color over the last couple of months, and she remembered long spring and summer afternoons playing hide-and-go-seek in what had seemed like a jungle. Now that she was entering the teen years, she knew that those weren't the only games played in the seclusion that could be found there. Kids her age went there to make out. She hadn't been asked yet, but she and Bobby had been dating for two months now. She didn't know whether or not to want him to ask. The tension was delicious in a way she didn't understand. Those thoughts were shattered by a scream. Her bike hopped the curb, guided by instinct. The hill on the other side of the concrete walk led down into a brush-filled gully. She knew that the scream came from those bushes. She grounded the bike. One foot hit the sidewalk, and she turned her momentum into a forward somersault. That became a series of forward rolls as she made a barely controlled descent. She reached the bank of a stream at the bottom of the hill and ended up coming to her feet easily. There was no time to be astounded at the gymnastics. Across the waterway, a woman struggled with a guy dressed in jeans and a hoodie. She had time to notice that the woman was dressed more for clubbing than for an afternoon in the park. There was a flash of metal between them, and then the world slowed down. Kayla took two steps back, and then took that short space and turned into a blur of motion. When she came out of the somersault this time, it was with one foot cocked sideways. The roundhouse caught the man in the shoulder and sent him flying across the opening. The woman, her skin darker than Kayla's by a few shades, was knocked off balance. She swore a blue streak and then started running up the path. Kayla watched after her, unsure as to how she could run in those heels, much less why she was running in the first place. Kayla took a ready stance, preparing to beat the man down again if she needed to. Then 
she noticed a metal object lying on the ground. It was a police badge. Her stomach flopped. The undercover police officer got to his feet and pushed the gray hood from his face. He didn't have any kind words to say as he retrieved the badge and looked after the woman. In fact, he didn't say anything at all. The look in his eyes spoke volumes, though, as he took in the teenager in all of her butt-kicking glory. With every tick of the clock, Kayla's face grew hotter. She relaxed her body and hung her head. When she heard the laughter, she looked up, confused. The officer, not more than ten years older than her, now had a smile on his face. I was all set to be mad at you. Then I realized what you must have thought. You were protecting that woman from a fate worse than death, weren't you, young lady? Kayla blushed even harder. Yes, sir. Her words were barely a mumble. He walked over to her. What's your name? She was pleased to see at least he didn't have a notebook out or anything. Kayla Charney, sir. Well, Miss Charney, first I must compliment your parents on raising you right. Second, I should identify myself. I am Detective Leon Duchamp. The woman you rescued was a prostitute. Kayla didn't think it was possible to blush any harder. She was wrong. I was about to take her into custody. We think she might have witnessed something in the park the other night. She didn't want to come along willingly, and now I'll have to track her down again. Oh, God. Oh, my God. I'm so sorry. She looked at the ground. Tears welled up in her eyes. She felt him move into her space and met his gaze. It wasn't easy. It's okay. I mean, I'm more than a little pit... He stopped himself. Annoyed at having been interrupted... You did what you thought was the right thing. He dug into his hoodie's pocket. Here, I want you to call me. We can't have young people taking the law into their own hands without knowing a thing or two about what can happen. What you did was amazing. Maybe one day you'll have one of these. He tapped the badge case that was now at his belt. We can talk about ride-alongs and about what citizens should do if they see something going down. Deal? She nodded her head. Deal. I can tell you've taken some martial arts. He looked at the distance from where she'd jumped to where she'd landed the kick. He shook his head in disbelief. I can also tell that you'd be someone that most adults wouldn't want to tangle with. You got a lot of power. And to quote my favorite movie, with great power comes great responsibility. I know. Duchamp nodded. I can help you with that, too. Call me. I will. She took his card and put it in her pocket. You won't tell my folks, will you? They'd freak out. I don't think so. Not this time, anyway. But if you continue to play hero, they're going to find out eventually. Think about that, too. He looked up the path after his quarry. Now, if you'll excuse me. He began jogging after her. She waited until after he was out of sight before she let herself relax completely. She had done the right thing, so far as she knew. In spite of the nearly crippling embarrassment, she knew she'd do it again, just in case it was what it had seemed to be. She was a hero. She wasn't just playing. Now she had an ally in Detective Duchamp. 
he could teach her how to be more responsible. It would be good to know the laws involved. She was no vigilante. But her family had given her a great gift, and to not use it would be irresponsible. With a leap, she crossed the stream again and climbed the hill to her bike. If she hurried, she could still meet Regina at the library. Thanks for listening. Check the show notes for links to where you can purchase or review this story. If you enjoy my fiction and want to support it directly, go to my Patreon page at patreon.com slash scottroche and check out the benefits of patronage. Are you troubled by the strange ending to Sherlock? Do you experience feeling of dread while waiting for Doctor Who to return? Have you or your family actually seen Orphan Black, Person of Interest, or Sleepy Hollow? If the answer is yes, then don't wait another minute. Log in to the home of all things geek, the Earth Station One Network. Our podcasts are on call 24 hours a day to serve all your geek needs. The ESO Network will be right there. We're ready to geek out with you. Be part of the crew at ESONetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek, classic, current, and beyond. Be part of the crew at ESONetwork.com.